Well, talking about the need for peace, um, greet you in the matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's an um, Aramaic word, Maranatha, which um, is also the name of a very good and close friend of mine growing up in my childhood. The name Maranatha captures the scripture in Revelation 22, verse 20, that says, Come, Lord Jesus, come. This season, for us as Christians, is a season in which we, along with the church throughout time, profess with our mouths and hope in faith with our hearts and minds that Jesus would come, that Jesus would come not only into our individual lives, but that his presence would be experienced in our homes, in our churches, and in the world. This morning, I want to uh, invite you uh, just to uh, place yourself in the posture of expectation. Not the kind of expectation that, um, that often defines our lives, but the one that is rooted in faith, believing the Word of God that has promised us that the person we worship is Emmanuel. He is committed to being with His people and with His church. And it is such a faith that this season invites. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of your life is. It doesn't matter what the status of the world is. We have placed our faith in the one who has said that he is with us. I invite you this morning to stand with me one more time. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Let me read that again. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Let me say that again. Maybe someone will say amen. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. (laughs) And the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth. And then hear this. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Father, this morning, we gather as your people. We do this week in and week out because we believe you are worthy of our worship, our time, our energy, our best efforts. In fact, we believe that you are worthy of all that we can give, all that we possess, All that we think, all that we are, you are worthy of us giving ourselves to you entirely. So would you receive this morning that which has been sung, that which has been lifted up on high? Would you receive this morning our gratitude for who you are and what Jesus has done? Would you be pleased with us? As we stand in your assembly, proclaiming with our lips, believing with our minds, and in faith in our hearts that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. May you take the simple thoughts that you have laid upon my heart and mind, and may in your gracious way and through the anointing of your Spirit, you speak words of life, words of change, Words of hope. This morning, Lord, I know that some of us have come expecting the same thing to happen that happens every Sunday. But could it be that today as we learn in the spirit of Advent to pray the prayer uh, that that we've been given by John in Revelation, we, we, we stand before you in expectation that as we welcome you, you will show yourself to us. May a life be changed today. May someone be saved today. (laughs) May, May life be transformed today. May hurts be healed today. May that which is crooked be made straight today. May that which is rough be smoothed over today. May by your Spirit that comes as we beckon you, Holy Spirit, you do in us and through us and in our world that which we believe you are able to do. Give us the faith now to hear your word, to believe your word, and to live your word in Jesus' name. And God's people says, amen. You may be seated. What do some of your preparations look like for Christmas? I remember growing up as a boy that I got real excited about Christmas. I don't know, some of you probably already have your tree up. Who has their tree up? Can I see? Just raise your hand. Yeah. And then there are many like me. Hoping that when we stop by Superstore, you all didn't buy all the trees up. Some of your homes are decorated as festively and as beautifully as our church is decorated and I'm so grateful for people like Carrie and her team that does such a good job 
are visually representing to us the hope we have. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, Christmas preparations began about six months before Christmas. And, and the reason I knew it began six months before Christmas because it's around six months before Christmas that my mom would take my siblings and I to a local tailor. And we would be fitted with proper Sunday attire that we would not get to wear until Christmas time because mom was going to lay by the clothes. Now, for some of you who don't know what that is, it's kind of like getting fitted, you don't get the clothes, and on a monthly basis, you pay until you have paid for it all. And when you've paid for it all, you show back up at the tailor, and then they make the adjustments because in six months, kids grow. And when they made the adjustments, you got your new clothes, and, and that clothes was supposed to carry you through the next year. Boy, I tell you, it was exciting. When, when Christmas came, uh, this is some of the things we did to prepare. We, we painted our homes. Yeah, we took it real serious. I don't suggest trying to paint your home in December in Calgary. But this was one of the traditions. We painted our homes. We, we gave it a fresh look. There was a sense of Christmas was coming. It's a time for some new things. My mom, very talented woman, she made dresses. She made curtains. And Christmas was a time for new curtains. This was back in the day where you didn't just go out to a store, at least in my experience, and get them to give you the curtains that fit your home. These are the days where you went to the material store. Oh, maybe I should say it this way. That was very South African. The fabric store. <laughs> and you would select what your style and decor and colors would be for that Christmas, and then you would come home and with the skilled work at a, at a, at a, at a, at a uh, knitting machine, my mom would make sure that the, 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 these curtains, listen, you have to understand, these curtains had to be perfect. And so all of what happened around Christmas was exciting. It, it, it was about preparing for a day that usually ended up with lots of eating and great exhaustion. And as I've got to know some of you here from different cultures, different places in the world, I've loved hearing your stories. I, I've heard, now I don't know if she speaks for all of Jamaica, but I know that Jen told me once that they don't sleep the whole night before Christmas. And I know in some other parts of the world, there's all kinds of things that they do that you and I may not know or be aware of. I know in Colombia, in some other places, some other countries like Saskatchewan, they do strange things. <laughs> but with all the preparation that we can do and that we do as people, we as Christians are invited to prepare for something far more significant than the great dinner and the fellowship around the table with family and friends. Our text paints for us a picture of what it means to prepare our lives 
to prepare our homes for the coming of Christ. While I think that it's fine to do all the things that we do, I get excited. I put my little penguins out and I have to fix the lights every year because they seem to break. I get excited and anticipate as I see my neighbors put up all the, 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 you know, some neighbors are better than others in what they put out front. But our street is just a light when I drive home and it makes me kind of nostalgic and excited. But I, I have to say to you today that with all the effort our world puts into the holiday, when it comes to how we prepare for the most important guest in this season, how are we doing? What are the things that we do and spend energy and time in to prepare to encounter the one that comes to us as a humble Savior? If we were to look at the scope of this month leading up to Christmas Day, what are the things that, that God wants us to be giving our energy and our time to? that helps us to do more than just live by a hallmark calendar, but by the calendar that defines Christianity historically, the calendar that says this is a season where the church says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, and we live with a faith and a hope in the reality of a world that is broken and hard and difficult, yet with faith believing that as we prepare well, we will not be disappointed. Sometimes our preparation is, uh, creates more anxiety and stress. I've heard some Christians say around me, and perhaps sometimes I've felt this way, that, man, I, I'm excited about Christmas, but I'm also really tired. You know, when you are not preparing well, I think it's, Indicative of those who do not prepare well when stress and anxiety defines the season. When concern about the material becomes more significant than the eternal. You know how we know as Christians when we prepare well for this season? is when we live with faith anticipating that Christ and his presence will make a difference in us and in our world. When we begin to live a faith that anticipates that God is faithful to his promises and that he is with us even when the world seems the way it is. You know how we prepare well? According to the text. When we do and confess and let go of everything that keeps us from encountering Christ. So how does the scripture help us to do it? If you read the scripture, you know, and I got through it without stumbling on any one of those weird words. It seems like a text that spends almost half of the portion I read in just telling us who's in charge and who's in control. <laughs> in fact... Tiberius was more ruthless than the Caesar who'd gone before him. 
And Herod the Great was succeeded by uh, Antipas, his son, and Philip. And they were kind of placed in control by Rome. They were insecure leaders historically as we read them. And in their security, they looked a lot like Rome in how they dealt with their own people. Revolutions had come, and they were quickly dealt with by the mighty and swift sword of Roman authority and power. The people of God, the devout people of God, were longing for a day that that which Isaiah prophesied of roads being made straight, of mountains being leveled, were longing to see this day, and they were waiting for a word that would tell them when that day would come. And in the midst of the reality of a desperate people longing for change and transformation and hope, the word of the Lord comes to John the Baptist in the wilderness. Now, I, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to share that thought. You know, some thoughts you should keep to yourself. But I think what we learn if we understand how much time Luke spends in just describing the historical reality and those who are in control, he, he's painting for us a picture that, that God's promised presence does not depend upon the state of our world or even the state of our lives, but it rests in his promise, his character, and his faithfulness. I only own my, have my own life to draw from, and so I use my life as an example in both the good and the bad parts of it. But you know, the more I read Scripture, the more I resonate with things in my formative growing up years I didn't resonate with. I think when you're young, you're sometimes oblivious to your shortcomings. Well, some young people will say, I've seen some old people that are really oblivious to their shortcomings. When I was younger as a Christian, I was quick to see how the the scripture implicates others. <laughs> Man, uh, uh, some of us can resonate because we'll hear a word and we'll say, I wish so-and-so made it to church today. Or some of you may, may, may kind of listen to a message and, and, and you evaluate it and you go, yeah, that was good, that was all right, that was all but but, but but there's a sense in which when the word of God is proclaimed, the word of God always comes to people, and we always have the choice whether we will actually listen and hear it first for ourselves. So when the word comes to John, it comes to him in the wilderness. In Luke's gospel, the wilderness is a place where Jesus himself was tempted. It's a place of prayer. It's a place of withdrawal. It's a place of miraculous healing. 
And it is significant, I think, that, that the word comes to find John, who by intention, according to the commentators I read, stayed in the region of the wilderness, never transgressing into Jerusalem. I think part of the reason John does this is because John understands what the God is of the Old Testament and who he is today and what he's trying to do. What he has promised then, he's seemingly committed to fulfilling even now. And so John, the word comes to him, and he he echoes a a prophet. He quotes Isaiah when the people were in captivity in Babylon, and he says the very same thing that the prophet Isaiah prophesied, that the day is coming when the Lord will make a way and he will lead his people out. And John stands in this tradition of prophetic voices that speaks truth amidst hard realities where people found it hard to believe the word that is spoken because what they saw with their eyes seemed to contradict what they have heard from their scriptures. When the word of God comes to John, it comes as a reminder that the God who liberated Israel from Babylonian exile is the same God who is showing now to Deliver his people from their captivity to Rome. From their enslavement to the law. What John is saying is that the God of the old is faithful and he shows up and speaks. Not to the powers that be. Not to the emperor. Not to the governor. Not even to the high priest. But speaks to a bewildering voice in the wilderness giving him the word to give to the people. And when he speaks this word, even though most of us hear it and we hear repentance and we hear sin, it is ultimately a word of hope and deliverance. It is a word that the church needs to hear today. That if we are going to prepare ourselves well for the one who is faithful from beginning to end, it begins not only with hearing the word, but finding ourselves repentant before God for all that stands in the way of His will in our lives and in our world. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, into the circumstances of our life. Come, Lord Jesus, right now and, and speak to us about the things we need to repent of. The things that in our life keeps us distracted from the great purpose you have. Come, Lord Jesus, and may your word this morning through Pastor Stu. You know, I, I don't want to be a John the Baptist. I got to tell you honestly. I don't want to be a Jeremiah, you know. Jeremiah preached his whole life. No one listened. You know who I want to be? A Jonah. He said eight words in the original language and the whole city repented. I, 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 want, I want people to respond to the words I'm saying and I, and, I, and I want you to hear these words as if it is God speaking to you. But I, I got to tell you honestly, 
that in a culture and a day where many people are speaking loudly from podiums and pulpits, as a pastor, I feel more and more that my job is becoming harder and harder because we seem to develop this callousness to the Word of God in a day in which what we need more is His Word for our life. And when His Word comes to us, it comes to us with honesty. It invites us to response. It doesn't leave us just feeling smarter, more educated, more informed. It beckons us to respond in the way that the people would respond in the gospel. It is in the wilderness by the Jordan where God invited His people to put their feet in the water in faith and to believe that He would make a way for them through to the other end. It's fascinating to me. I wish I could preach on all of this. I certainly enjoy the context of it. But may I just say this? John ministers in a place of such incredible significance to the people of God because it is the place where they had to learn to trust God to lead them where they could not go on their own. It is a place in which they had to learn how to truly trust Him and not themselves. It is the kind of place where, where faith is tested. It's the kind of place where, 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 where the, the platitudes we say to one another doesn't really hold any weight unless there is a willingness to step out and step into the water. There, this is the place where the Word of God invites us to more than just a, a knowing, but a doing. You see, if we are to wait well, in this season, if we are to anticipate the presence of the Lord, let us not think that the state of the world or even the chaos that we may feel within our own lives denies what God can do. But I do believe this wholeheartedly, that the very same God who parted the Jordan waters and the Red Sea is the God that, according to Revelation, stands at the door of the church as a gentleman, and he knocks, and he asks the church today, will you let me back in? Will you let me be the, the center of what makes you who you are? Will, will you let me challenge you so that you would let go of the things that you have clung to that does not ultimately lead to life. Would, would you allow me to come right in, to sit down at the table with you, to hear the conversations that are being had? Would you allow me to be present? Would you allow me to change you? The Word of God comes to John in the wilderness. 
I think that sometimes we should not uh, be leery of the dry places, the hard places. I think one of the reasons we don't prepare well is because we, we think that the wilderness is contrary to the revelation of God. We think that the places that we struggle, that we ask questions, that we grapple with things, the places that, and the seasons that are really difficult, we, we somehow think that God stops talking in those times. But the Word of God comes to John in the wilderness. And the Word of God comes to you and to me in our disorienting moments, in the times where things are dry and hard. Listen, this word took 400 years to come, but it did. <laughs> you know what I believe about the desert wandering? I believe that the time it took them to find their way out was a time of grace because God was repeatedly trying to speak to them and get their attention. And sometimes we can be in the wilderness for a long time because we just don't believe that God is wanting to get our attention there. God is wanting to speak to us there. Listen, individually, let me just say to you, it is hard to preach this if I had not been through my own wilderness and if I do not anticipate that there will be wilderness to come. But I have proven the Lord faithful that He is the God not only of the mountains but of the valleys. He's the God that works with me in the seasons where it is fruitful and abundant and in the season where it is dry and difficult. He is the God whose word is not determined by the status that I have or the world's situation and circumstance. He's the God who says, I am Emmanuel. So I cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come into my life and to my home. Come into my circumstances. May the season be different beyond hanging lights and drinking eggnog. Praise God for eggnog. It's so good, but not so good for you. But beyond all the festivities, I beckon the presence of God to arrest me even in the wilderness. I beckon the Word of God to renew me even in the dry places. I long and I cry out with the people of Israel, come, Lord Jesus, come. I think that some of us, need to be called out of some of the, the places that we long for into recognizing the place that we are at. The people would eventually come to John. Sometimes the word that is spoken invites us to come towards the speaker. You see, uh, there's... there's a sense in which we can hear these kinds of words and, and we think that we are just, um, we're just passive in it all. But Advent is not just a season in which we sit back and in faith trust that God speaks and that Christ draws near. But we respond to His Word through obedience, 
through repentance, through faithfulness. We draw near to the one who says that if we do so, he will draw near to us. And so this morning, are you in the wilderness? Is your soul dry? Is your spirituality just lukewarm? Do you find yourself not quite certain about where you're going, but yet you're longing for change? The answer has is and will always be in the faithfulness of Christ. I don't know if where some of us are today, but I stand before you as your pastor and to many of you a friend who desperately, longingly desires the world to be made and renewed as God had promised. But I recognize this morning that unless he is allowed to make some things straight in us, can we become the way in which he makes things straight in the world. Advent is a season for those who know Jesus to allow Jesus to come near and change them. Would you bow your heads I'm going to invite Callie to come and this morning as we turn our hearts towards the Lord, we're not listening for advice for somebody else, but we are praying, Lord, lead us. Lead me. Speak to me. Perhaps this morning there is someone who's saying, Pastor Stu, you know, I'm not really that excited about Christmas. <laughs> some of the uh, some of the excitement of the uh, the season has been lost in the heaviness of life. The good news is, it's never been about the tinsel and the turkey. It's been about the hope in Christ. Draw near to him today. Invite his presence to lead you in repentance, 
pray that if there's anything in me, Lord, that keeps your will from being accomplished, that you would have the, the courage, the faith, the humility to confess it to him now. Search us, O oh God. Know our thoughts. See if there's anything in us that is not of you and pleasing to you. And lead us to your hope, to your purpose, and to your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.